So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 2 this morning. Jeremiah 2, and if if you need a Bible, there's Bibles on the table over here. Jeremiah 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Even the priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against You, again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look, send to Kedar and observe closely and see if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, just as we look at this passage uh, this morning and we look at this this transition of Israel from being uh, in love with you to forsaking you and why it happened and and what caused it, that you would uh, stir our hearts uh, because, Father, even a lot of us, it's so easy for us to to be in love with you and and for that love to grow cold and us to get so occupied and preoccupied with things around us and uh, so busy that we lose sight of you. And I pray that this morning you would use these words to to just open our eyes afresh to you and, and draw our hearts back into just intimacy of knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.
J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, how many of you read that book, Knowing God? It's a, it's a great little book on the attributes of God. <clears throat> he says this. He gives an illustration of a relationship with somebody. He said, I was walking in the sunshine with a Bible scholar, meaning someone who knew a lot about the Bible, who had effectively forfeited his chances of academic advancement by clashing with church leaders over the gospel. In other words, what he had done, he had chose to hold to the true gospel over being politically correct, and as a result, he lost the chance to advance in his denomination. But this is how he concluded, this man that J.I. Packer was talking to. But it doesn't matter, this man said, for I've known God and they haven't. For I've known God and they haven't. That's a powerful phrase. I've known God. Uh, can we say that? As we think back of, over the last weeks and months and years of our lives, can we say, I've known God? Meaning, I've, my life has been experiencing God? Can we say that? <clears throat> it really sounds a lot like what the Apostle Paul uh, said in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them garbage, manure, that I may know Christ. And yet I, I know for myself and, and for so much of it, it, our lives can be so much more like the words that C.S. Lewis describes. C.S. Lewis wrote Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote another, he wrote a lot of other books. In one of his books, he said, he described us, he says, as people who are far too easily pleased. And this is what he says. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Infinite joy uh, is offered to us. That's what it says. And we're happy, too often happy making mud pies. This morning I'd like us just to ask why that is. <clears throat> really two questions I'd like you to be thinking about as we we go through our sermon this morning. Number one, is it, is it infinite joy or is it mud pies that you are experiencing in your life? And the second question is why? Why? What happened? In Isaiah 43, it says that we were created for God's glory. He created us for his glory. He created us in his image for his glory. And, and that means that the very reason for our existence 
is to experience God's glory, to experience God. That's why God created us. It was for himself, to experience him, not just to experience his gifts, but to experience him, to know him. That's why in Exodus 33, Moses, he pleads with God on the mountain. He says, show me your glory. And it's like Moses was crying out, show me, show me you. And we know this because the way God responds, he says, I myself, as God responds to Moses, he says, I myself will make all my goodness to pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. In short, God's response is, if you want want me to show you my glory, it's you want me to show you me. You were created for me. And this is the heart of it. To experience real life is to experience God. And what we see in Jeremiah as we come to Jeremiah in a little bit is that that's what, what happened with the people of Israel is where they started experiencing God and in love with God. Something happened. And they ceased experiencing God and they started experiencing other things and it's not the same. Just to give you an idea, I mean, God is glorious. Turn with me to First Chronicles, if you would. <clears throat> First Chronicles chapter 16. I'm going to start reading at verse 23, or you can just listen. First Chronicles 16, page 288. Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. <clears throat> Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the nations, their idols, their emptiness. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. If you turn with me to Psalms, I'm mean, just look at a few Psalms here. I want us to, just to start. <clears throat> Thanks. Could be tricky. I want us to see, to start with, <clears throat> if God has created us, Page 370, excuse me, page 3, we're going to be on page 380, Psalm 19, the next one. But what I want us to see is if we were created for God's glory, the first point is God is glorious. Look at Psalm 19.1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Daniel referred to the, the sunset last night as I was sitting on our couch looking out our window and I saw it. I called Cindy over. I mean, it's, that was declaring God's glory. Look at Psalm 29. Just a little bit farther. 
Psalm 29, starting at verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And it go on, goes on and it just describes the, the, the beauty in the, in the um, in lightning and thunder. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. That's what I love about thunder and lightning. It's just like, it just demonstrates God's glory. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And this is my favorite part. And in his temple all cry, glory. Glory. God is glorious. Look at Psalm 105. One more. Psalm 105. Verse 1. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And then one more. Isaiah chapter 6. Just before the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Page 476, 477, Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And this temple, this temple was mammoth, 100 feet long, 50 feet wide. It says just the train, you know, like brides have on their wedding gowns, just the train, it says, filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, that's angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces because they couldn't look on God's glory. With two, they covered their feet, indicating their uncleanness in the face of a holy God. And with two, they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in John chapter 12, verse 41, John says in this passage that Isaiah saw God's glory. God's glorious. And whether it's looking at a sunset or like it was last week as, or the week before as I was riding my motorcycle and I was just kind of riding along, paying attention to the traffic, which you want to do when you're on a motorcycle because people are pulling into you all the time. And, and for some reason, I just kind of looked up. Um, and it was just a moment of worship for me. I looked up, and there were clouds. And coming through the clouds, there was like a hole in the clouds were the rays of sun. And it was like, ah, God's glory. 
I mean, whether it's looking at the Olympics or whether it's the birth of a new baby uh, or something miraculous God has done, his character, his person, his, his amazing deeds, God is glorious. And yet, despite how glorious God is, we go on making mud pies, don't we? We, we, we keep making mud pies. And, and if you want to flip back to Jeremiah, we're going to come to Jeremiah here. And as we think about the contrast, if you can get that contrast in your head, the glory of God, the glorious God that he is, and the mud pies that we spend so much of our lives making, we come to Jeremiah and uh, verse 12 and it's, it should be the reaction going on in each one of us right now. It says, be appalled at this, O heavens. Shudder with great horror. It's like we should, it, as, as we're kind of brought to our senses, you should be like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Why am I acting this way? Why am I living this way? When I could be living in relationship with the glorious God of the universe, experiencing him and knowing him, I'm making mud pies. <clears throat> And so that's what we want to ask this morning is why would we do that? <clears throat> why would we exchange? And literally in Jeremiah it says they exchanged their glory. God is our glory because we were created for him. Why would we exchange our glory for mud pies? <clears throat> so if you want to follow with me, I'm just going to kind of quickly just remind us of what we read in Jeremiah. In, in verses 1 through 3, we see, a, we see it, starts, it starts wonderfully. It's, it's a love story. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me, and, and you followed me through the wilderness. And, and so the first three verses are, it's God remembering what it used to be between him and his people. It was, it was a love story. It's, you know, like that first love. Were they all excited about God and they were all infatuated with him and they were in love with him? But we come to verses 4 through 8. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? And we come to verses 4 through 8. Something happened. I mean, there was this first love, this... It's romance. Something happened and, and it's not there anymore. God brought them to where he promised that he would bring them into the promised land through that horrible wilderness despite all of their disobedience and all their string and all their rebellion. He brought them into the promised land and it's like the love relationship was over. They strayed from him. <clears throat> Something happens. And then we come to verses 9 through 13 and it's this incredulity, this shock, this being appalled where God says, what, ha what happened? I want you to notice that what happened didn't happen because something better happened. In fact, three times, look at verse 5. In verse 5 it says, when they strayed, from the Lord, it says, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. 
This isn't something better. Look at verse 8. It says, The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. And then again in verse 11, notice it says, My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. I mean, they had a relationship with the God beyond all worth, and what they've exchanged it for was worthlessness, emptiness. I mean, in uh, the New American Standards, it says emptiness. They, they chose emptiness over what was full, and they became empty. Look at verse 13. It says, My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. I don't know if you've, how many of you have hiked into the mountains, but there's nothing like bending down <clears throat> at a mountain stream, you know, when the water's coming over the water, the rocks, and drinking out of that fresh mountain stream. God says, you've abandoned me, <clears throat> the fountain of living water, like drinking from a mountain stream, that refreshing living water that only God can provide. And he says, you've dug your own cisterns, and cisterns are just boxes. There's nothing living about them. There's nothing flowing in and nothing flowing out. They're just boxes that hold water. That's what cisterns are. And beyond that, they're not even good cisterns, but they're broken cisterns that can't even hold water. And so God says, you've abandoned me, this fresh mountain stream of living water for boxes that hold water, and they don't even hold water. They're leaky. <clears throat> what happened? That's what I want us to look at this morning, just for a few minutes. What happened? And what happens to us? Why do we exchange our glory, living in vibrant relationship with the glorious creator, God of the universe, who created that beautiful sunset last night? The God who created the super moon that if it's not cloudy, we'll be able to see. Knowing God and experiencing the joy of his presence for broken cisterns, mud pies. <clears throat> If we come back to the text, I think the answer is, is simply there, and we see it twice repeated in the text here. We see it repeated in verse 6, and we see it repeated in verse 8. Notice verse 6, it says, They did not ask as they strayed from the Lord, and they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. It says, They did not ask, Where is the Lord? And we see the same thing in verse 8. You came and defiled my land, the, ver the end of verse 7, and you made my inheritance detestable. And the priests did not ask, where is the Lord? No one was asking anymore. These people who at one time had this intimate relationship with God, this love relationship with him, no one is asking anymore, where is the Lord? Three things from this I just want, I want us to get, because I think it's just, it's so important. The problem, number one, <clears throat> they quit asking, where is the Lord? Their focus shifted, and this is, this is the heart of it. Their focus shifted from the giver to the gifts. 
It's almost like when they were going through the wilderness, they were desperately dependent upon God. God brought them out of Egypt. It's called the Iron Furnace. And out of 400 years of slavery, he delivered them and rescued them. And they were in love with him. And he brings them through the wilderness with all of its cobras and scorpions and, and lack of water. And, and they were, even in their rebellion, they kept coming back and said, where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? But they come into the promised land and all the goodness that he's given them. It says they, they, they inherited vineyards that they didn't plant and orchards that they didn't plant and, and, every, and, and cities. And it was all there and an abundance of it. And little by little by little, they, their focus shifted from the giver to the gifts. The point that is being made in Jeremiah chapter 2 is the gifts will never satisfy like the giver. You get that? The problem was their focus shifted. They, they got all this good stuff and, and their focus shifted from the giver to the gifts. But the point... of as God is pleading with them here in Jeremiah chapter 2, and God is appalled, and he says anybody should be appalled as he sees what is happening, is, is that they would realize that the gifts will never satisfy <clears throat> like the giver. He is glorious. He is living water. He alone can quench thirst. He's the bread of life. He is alone the one that can sustain. He's the glorious God. <clears throat> and so the consequence, as we see in Jeremiah chapter 2 here, and as we see in the, in the story of Israel, is that little by little we accept less and less life until we come to the point to where, where at one point we were in this intimate relationship with the glorious God of the universe, and now we're, we're accepting mud pies. As our focus shifted and the gifts will never satisfy, little by little as our focus is on the gifts, you get that? Little by little, we, we're willing to accept less and less. It takes less and less to satisfy us, doesn't it? God brought them into the amazing promised land where he provided everything for them. They were grateful for a time. But then little by little, they forgot him. You know, I think what happened is that little by little, they began to think, you know, it must be because I'm a good gardener. Or because I'm so clever. Or I'm so wise. Or I'm so smart. It must have been our military prowess. They, they forgot that God was the one that miraculously defeated their enemies. But, you know, in time, they began to think, this was us. It was our gifts. It was, it was our ability. It was our wisdom. It was our strength. And they quit seeking him. They quit asking, where's the Lord? They became confident in themselves. They began patting themselves on the back and patting one another on the back, you know, instead of reminding each other that it was the giver. It wasn't the gifts. Their pursuit became the gifts. They exchanged their glory 
knowing and enjoying God for what it says here, for emptiness. It's not where it started. I mean, it was, it was all the good stuff God has given them. But little by little, it became empty. And it says, they became empty. I, I did have no doubt that there are a lot of us here this morning that are empty. Feeling empty. Because we just can't stuff. It just can't satisfy. Gifts can't satisfy. Only the giver can. Only him. Has it happened in our lives? Has it happened in your life? <clears throat> it can happen in ministry. I've seen it happen in my own life. You know, seeing God do good things and then my focus turns from God who is doing good things to the things that he's doing. And I become focused on the accomplishments and the good things that he's doing and I begin to go after those things. And I begin to pursue those things to bring me joy and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. And those things will never satisfy. Only God. The giver of those things. <clears throat> little by little our focus becomes more on things and less on Him and we spend less time with Him and more time focusing on things. And we wonder what has happened. We've exchanged our glory. Jeremiah 2. So if this has happened, what do we do? <clears throat> I want us to turn, just in closing, to Revelation chapter 2. What do we do when this happens? Our focus has shifted from the giver to the gifts. And little by little, needing less and less to satisfy us, so we come to the point where we realize we're empty. Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> John is writing to the church at Ephesus. And they're a church that has lost their first love. Remember, that's what happened in Jeremiah chapter 2. Same thing. Verses 1 to 3, they have this beautiful love relationship, like, like a newly betrothed couple to one another. But they lost it. That's what happened to the church at Ephesus it says these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand verse 2 and, among, and walks among the seven golden lampstands I know your deeds you're working hard you're persevering I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have l tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and, and have found them to be false you've persevered you've endured hardness for my name you've not grown weary I mean you're going after it good job but you're empty. You're empty. Because you've been focusing all that stuff, those things you're doing for him, or, or, the, or maybe just those gifts that he's given, and you're focusing on those, and you're empty. Verse 4, God says, I have this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. <clears throat> so if that's us, three things, just three things I want to close with. It says here in verse 5, number one, consider how far you've fallen. The first thing is remember. If we've exchanged our glory, if you've exchanged your glory, you know what began as this 
amazing love relationship with God, then it to be just this emptiness. You're doing stuff for him. You're trying to follow him, but it's just become hard work. And, and you're finding your joy in stuff. Your accomplishments, your ambition, your possessions, your toys. Remember. It says how far. Remember back. That's the first step. Take time to remember your first love. The way it was back at the beginning. Remember your first love. Remember why you loved him. Because of what, what he did for you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Remember what he's rescued you from. Remember what he's made you to be, an adopted child of his, the glorious creator, God of the universe. Remember. It's the first thing. I think a lot of us need to do remembering because we've forgotten. We've exchanged our glory and we're focusing on all this emptiness. Number one, remember. Number two, as you remember, it says repent. Repent. And repent, it just simply means a couple of things. It means to admit, confess how far you've fallen and to change. To determine before God that you're going to go back to that. You confess your sin, your rebellion, your, your forsaking him, your, your leaving of his love and you're choosing his gifts over him, the giver. Repent. So remember, and then repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. God, I have, I have settled for what you've given me, what you've done for me, instead of you. And then third, it says, do the things you did at first. So, being a preacher, we're going to have all ours, you know, remember repent, and then redo. <laughs> Go back to living in light of your love relationship with him instead of just living. What I'd like us to do is just take a few minutes, just close your eyes, and, and we're just going to be quiet for a few minutes, and then, I'm gonna, then I'll pray. And I'd like to give you a few moments to just, before God, remember. And I really want you to do that. Remember, just remember back to what he'd done for you and back to the way it was at the beginning. And then, if you need to, repent. Just before, just, just make it right with him. Just say, God, I'm sorry. And determine before God, then to live in relationship with him instead of with all this other stuff. To find your joy in him, to pursue him for life instead of life and all this other stuff. Let's pray. Oh God, you are glorious. We see you in a sunset. We see you in a mountain stream. We see you in a new little baby. We. And they're just tastes 
of your glory. They're just glimpses of your glory. You are God. You are glory. God, you created us for yourself to share your glory, to experience your glory, to know you and love you and live in relationship with you. God, I, I confess how so easy it has been for me to just shift my focus away from you to the glory that you display, to the things that you've done, and, and to then begin to find my, my joy in my life in, in your gifts instead of you, the giver. Oh, God, open our eyes to see. Help us to remember. God, fix our eyes on you, our glorious God. In Jesus' name. Amen.